Take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 6. And also, if you received a bulletin as you came in, you can turn that over on the back. And we have some, just a couple of notes that you can look at as we go through our time this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We're continuing a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a compilation of Jesus' teachings. Probably, we could very easily say, the most famous foundational sermon uh, ever given. And it is, it's a powerful text to look at, and it makes us look at our own life in a, in a really deep way. If you'll look on the bottom of the back of your bulletin, I know there's a lot of B's at one time, but if you look at the bottom of the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's a reading plan for the Sermon on the Mount that takes us up to Easter. I encourage you to read and study God's Word as we get ready to come together. That way you'll know what we're going to talk about. You'll be thinking and meditating on God's Word as you go throughout the week, and so that is on on your paper that takes us up to Easter. Easter coming very soon, the first Sunday in, in April. And we'll have some material, hopefully starting next week, that you can use to give to your family and friends. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we will make fun of the fact that there are certain people who only attend church on Christmas and Easter, and we give them titles like CEO, Christmas, Easter only, and we can make a joke of it. And then we realize that that's a really sensitive thing, the fact that people are even willing to come on Christmas and Easter. And so we want to give you a way to invite your family and friends. If that is the only time that they come all year to say, we want you to be here. This is a safe place for you to come. It's a chance for you to come and hear about the good news of Jesus. And so I can tell you right now, we're going to do some things on Easter this year that you won't want to miss. If there specifically are men in your family or friends that you have at work who, guys that just say, you know what, church is not for me, it's not my type of place, I would encourage you, bring them on Easter this year. It's going to be a really unique opportunity, and I'm looking forward to that. So, okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read the first four verses of this chapter, and then we're going to skip down and pick up some verses a little bit further along in, in the chapter. They're going to be on the screen up there, or you can look at them on your copy of God's Word right in front of you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, They have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then skip down to verse 19. We're going to pick up down in verse 19. We'll fill in those other verses in a couple of weeks. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. May God bless the reading of his word. You'll notice your Bible may have said money or mammon or wealth, something like that there at the end. This morning we're going to talk about how being a part of God's kingdom, how following after Jesus impacts the way we think about our finances and our property and our possessions. And you might be tempted to say, well, that's going to be easy because I don't have very much of any of those. And so, in fact, it isn't any easier. It doesn't matter if you have very little money or you have quite a bit of money, the Bible still speaks to our situation in life because greediness and covetedness and all these things that that impact the way we address money, it affects poor people just the way it affects rich people because it's a situation of the heart. It's, It's a sin issue that we're dealing with. But I want to talk to you about something really quickly as we start out. If we're not careful, and if by we I mean me and pastors in general, There's a tendency, because we don't want to just give you fluffy, uh, rainbowy, hallmark statements, you're you're not coming here to get that. Because of that, sometimes we go to the opposite extreme and you feel like you come to church and you just get beat up. Because you think, I don't do that well, and I don't do that well, and I'm not good at that. And you just come and you get, you feel like you get beat up. And you say, I just can't take this. My whole week I get beat up. I don't need to come to church and get beat up again. And what I want you to know is that we are not going to go the other way. We're not going to go rainbowy. We're not going to go fluffy. We're not going to go just this very surface level approach. But I want to watch my heart, and I don't want to ever use God's word to beat you up, because that's not the purpose of it. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so what I want to start with this morning, when we're talking about money, is I want to start with a question. It's a question that's on the top of your bulletin there on the back, but it is, what does God desire for us? Because when we think about money, Usually the first question we think of is, what does God desire from us? Because that's our mindset, is when the church talks about money, the first thing they're going to talk about is they're going to tell me I need to give more money, because they need money from me. And you go through life, and people constantly need things from you. Many of you have jobs where you spend all day long And people are constantly needing something from you. They come to your office, they need something from you. Or or if you're a stay-at-home parent, you live on this world a hundred times more than the rest of us. Because you have kids that follow you around the house. And constantly, they need something from you. And when you go throughout life, and people constantly are sucking from you, they need things from you, it wears you out after a while. You just can't take it because you're constantly worn down by that. What I want you to know this morning, and what I want you to hear from God's Word, is that God desires generosity for us, not from us. God's desire for you, when you think about your money, when you think about your possessions, when you think about your property, God desires generosity for you. He doesn't need generosity from you. And here's where we see this. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus tells them, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. 
Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. In your Bible, if you want to uh, underline that phrase, practicing acts of righteousness, acts of righteousness refers to three things. It refers to praying, fasting, and giving. Praying, fasting, and giving are exactly what follow from these verses in chapter 6. And they were kind of like the three foundational practices of the Jewish faith. And so Jesus tells them, I'm about to talk about praying, fasting, and giving. We're going to cover praying and fasting another another time. And so it talks about giving specifically this morning. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And sometimes it says they have received their reward in full. Notice that that word when is underlined. And the reason it's underlined is because Jesus considers giving an assumption. In other words, Jesus assumes that this is already going to happen. He doesn't have to convince the people to give. He just assumes that this is something that they're going to do already. And so he says, when you give, not if you give. Giving was a foundational reality for these people. So Jesus isn't dealing just with the action. Jesus is dealing with the intention. What is their reason for giving? And you're going to find this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't concerned just with the action. In fact, he's more concerned with your intention. What is the, what is the condition of your heart? Because it would be easy for us to say, well, Jesus should just be glad that they're giving. You know, he should just say, well, that's great. It doesn't matter how you give. At least they gave. But Jesus doesn't work that way. That's not his game in this area. His idea is it matters how you give. And it matters why you give, not just that you give. And we have to look at our own lives because sometimes we think Jesus should just be glad that I did something this week. (laughs) He should be glad that I was able to operate this week and I did my best and I got here to church. And that's true to a level. But what Jesus is really concerned with is the condition of our heart. Because it's possible to do all of these actions, it's possible to look like we're following Christ, when in reality we look at our heart and we realize that we're being selfish in the process, or we're just doing it because it's a religious ritual, or we're just doing it because we're supposed to. And so he says, when you give, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't do it to bring attention to yourself. But look at verse 4, or verse 3. When you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now this idea about the left hand not knowing what the right hand will do, it's just an analogy that Jesus is using to describe secrecy, but it's a very particular analogy. Because when the right hand is extended to give, and the left hand goes out as well, the left hand knows what is happening, the imagery is, is that you're giving, and then why would you extend your left hand at the same time? To get something in return. If the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, there's no hand to ask for something in return. But if the right hand goes out to give and the left hand goes out as well, it's this image that you're wanting something back. And giving 
while also wanting something in return is not giving, it's buying. If you go up to the cash register and you give them money, the expectation is is that you will get something in return. That's called buying. Giving means that you only extend one hand and you say, I will give this with no expectation of anything in return. I will give this in secret, not for what I can get, but because of what God has done in my life. And God wants to bring us to a point where we're not giving because he needs something from us. We're giving just out of the overflow of our heart. This humble generosity that's within us that says, I'm going to give because God has given to me. I'm going to give because I serve a generous God. If you grew up in church, and just out of curiosity, I'm always curious about this. Let's think about, let's think about 12 years old and younger. How many of you consistently, not one time a year, how many of you consistently went to church in those early years of life? You grew up in church. How many of you started going to church, say, after you were 12, like 13 and above, you started going to church? Okay, so we're probably like 80% went when you were little, the other 20% started going later. If you grew up in church, you probably heard of a thing called tithing. It depends on the type of church that you went to, but some churches really push tithing hard. Tithing is this concept that you give 10% of your paycheck to the church for the ministry of the church to be used. Tithing is one of these concepts that is tied in with the Old Testament law and the scripture. But one of the things we know about Jesus coming and giving of his life is that Jesus paid the price for the law. He took the Old Testament law upon himself and in a very real sense, he set us free from that. Not so that we could do for whatever we wanted to, but so that we could follow him as we were led by the Holy Spirit. And yet a lot of churches, and by churches I mean pastors, will still really push the Old Testament tithe. And they'll push it while not making mention of any of the Old Testament laws, but they want to push the tithe. Why do they want to push tithing? Because they got to stay in business. <laughs> and so they feel like, I need to push this concept of tithing. And a lot of times they push it because they want their people to be giving. They want their people to be generous. But here's what I want you to know about this idea. Is that God is not interested in you moving the decimal place on your paycheck. God is interested in you becoming a generous person. God is not looking at me and say, did, they move, did, did he move the decimal in his paycheck? God wants to look at my heart and say, is that man a humble, generous person? Because what happens is, if we're not careful, if pastors are not careful, they use something like tithing as a control mechanism because they want to control people's actions. Our job when looking at other people's lives, is not to manipulate them or to control their actions. It's to point them toward Christ and say, he has set you free to live for God. Follow after him. It doesn't mean you do whatever you want. It doesn't mean you live in sin. It means you have freedom to follow the Lord, to follow after him as he leads you. And so I want you to know when we talk about this idea of generosity, God desires generosity for us not from us. And as a result of that, we don't live in fear. We don't live under control. If you're visiting our church or or you're new to the Christian faith, I am not here to control you. I am not 
to control your paycheck. I'm not here to control the decisions you made. I am here to point you to Jesus Christ, who died for you, who took all of your sin and all of your upon himself, and then he set you free to live for him. And as a result of that, you will become a generous person. And what this does for us is when we're not focusing on giving, but we're focusing on being generous, you don't have to worry about comparing your gift to someone else's. Because if your gift is done in secret, and if your gift is done in humble generosity, you don't have to worry about what someone else is giving. Sometimes in church, people are hesitant to give because they say, you know what, I don't have very much to give. I can't give as much as that other person, so I'm I'm just not going to give at all. Can I tell you, giving's not the point. The point is, you have experienced the power and love of a generous God, and your desire is to be as generous as you can be right where you are. Don't spend your time wondering how much money somebody else gave. Don't spend your uh, time wondering, am I going to be able to give? Spend your time saying, God, I want to be generous Show me how to do that. Set me free to live for you. Why does God want us to be generous? Look down in verse 19. This is the second point in your notes. God not only wants us to be generous, he wants us to make an eternal impact. Verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is doing in this passage is he is setting up a contrast between things that will last and things that won't last. If you need a reminder that some things last and some things don't last, many of us live through Hurricane Katrina. And we can give you the reminder of what lasts and what don't last. And many of you just through life experience know certain things will last, certain things will be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, give your life to the things that will last. Give your life to what will really matter, what will make an eternal impact. What, What he's saying here is this idea, it does no good to collect treasures on earth. Because they're not going to last. They're not going to make an eternal impact. You have to remember that Jesus is speaking in a culture in which there were no refrigerators. There was no idea of a stock market. There was no idea of an investment system or savings account. People lived day to day. Some really wealthy people had a lot of money stored up. They had a lot of assets. But most people lived day after day trying to find bread, trying to find resources just for that day. There was no idea of hoarding. Diedrich Bonhoeffer has an incredible quote here on your notes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. Where our treasure is, there is our trust, security, consolation, and God. And then the last phrase there, hoarding is idolatry. 
Now, I want to be really careful here because this is a sensitive, a sensitive topic. There are some people, and, and this may be your situation, and so hear me speaking sensitively and, and, and in love about this. There are some people who have very real hoarding difficulties, uh, and it becomes a disorder, and unfortunately, there are TV shows that almost make fun of it in some ways because you see the, the level of trauma that people live in when they hoard. What Diedrich Bonhoeffer is saying is hoarding, holding on to material possessions is no good. It it will become your God because you're more concerned of taking care of those things than you are of living for God. Jesus told a parable about an owner who gave his servants a certain amount of money. He gave them a certain number of talents. And two of the servants went and they invested those talents and they received more in return. But you know what the third one did? Went and buried it in the ground. And when the owner came back, the servant said, hey, look, I still have my talent. Jesus was not impressed. He said, I did not give that to you for you to hoard it, for you to hold on to. I gave it so that you would use it. And my question for you this morning is, What has God given you, and what are you doing with what God has given you? God has given all of us resources. You might say, I don't have as many as someone else. That's not the point of the parable. The point is, what are we doing with what we've been given? You've all been given time. We've all been given talents. Some of us less than others, but we've all been given talents. We've all been given resources. The question is, what are we doing with those things? A few weeks ago, I was back in Oklahoma speaking at a Youth Disciple Now. It's a a weekend event. We do them here at at our church. But the students will go and stay in people's homes during the weekend. And they go to different worship services and things like that. Well, the, the guy who was doing this Disciple Now told me that I was going to be staying with the junior and senior guys. Which... I wasn't extremely excited about, but it, you know, I was like, that's okay. I don't mind if I have to stay with the junior, senior guys. I can, I can do that. I can stay in, up until late at night playing video games and, and doing things like that. But uh, he said, you're going to stay at this house. But I, he said, I think you're going to like the house that, that you stay at. And so we drove up to the house and I realized it wasn't a house. It was actually a mansion that we were going to be staying at. It was the nicest house I've ever seen in my life. And they had this epic pool in the backyard and it was about 40 degrees. And so we all jumped in and did a polar dive and swam across to the hot tub on the other side. It was the nicest house I've ever been to in my life. Do you know what I would do if I had a house like that? I would not have junior and senior guys spending the weekend there. All right, I just got to be honest with you. If if we had something like that, you can tell how someone treats their possessions by what they become protective and prickly about. Those are the two indicators. When we become protective and we become prickly about our possessions, we realize that in our heart, we're probably more concerned with storing up that treasure on earth than we are in using it for eternal purposes. This family had been given not being given, the the man through hard work had earned a lot of money. They had a nice house and they said, we have this. And the only reason we have this is so that it will make an internal impact on these kids who come and spend time here. We invest what we have 
for the purposes of the gospel spreading to these high school kids that come and spend time here. And I know that many of you do the same thing. But what I worry about is my own heart. And this idea that I want to protect and I want to hold on to. And I, why? Why, why would we do that? Why would we think that that's the purpose of these possessions? Instead, say, Lord, you're the one who've given this to me. I just want to be generous. I want them to be used to make an eternal impact. The question is, how? How do we get to that point? Jesus tells us, verse 22, which is a really strange verse here in the passage. You know what? Before we get to that, let me share a passage. If you want to jot this down, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 is one of the clearest passages in Scripture about how we use our possessions. It says, as for the rich in this present age, and I know you don't feel rich, but compared to most of the world, you can consider yourself rich. So this applies to us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you see that phrase there? It is okay as a Christian to enjoy the material possessions that you have. Sometimes we feel so guilted about the things that we have that we can't enjoy the thing. We, we think it's wrong to enjoy the material possessions that we have. It's actually a good thing. You've been called to enjoy those things that God has given you. And look at the next part, though. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. There's that word again. Generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Those are incredible verses that help us understand how to think about our money, how to think about our property, how to think about our possessions, that God has given us those things and we can enjoy them. And as a result of that, we can do good, we can share, we can be generous, and we can use them for eternal purposes. How do we do that? All right, let's get to verse 22 here. It says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, now this, there are so many translations. I'm going to tell you here in a second why it's the case. Some of your Bibles will say clear. Some will say healthy, which I think healthy is up on the screen. Some of your Bibles will say good at this point. The translators have a lot of trouble with this word, and I'll tell you in just a second why that's the case. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is good or healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. All right, so we have to understand how ancient cultures thought about the eyes. There was a feeling that as you looked at certain things, the eyes were what allowed light to get into your body. Some people, some scientists in the ancient world thought that your light, your eyes put off light. Some scientists in the ancient world thought that your eyes allowed light to get into your body. And there was a concept in the ancient world called the evil eye. Most of your parents own the evil eye. And if you're a parent now, 
you own the evil eye. You know what this, you know what this looks like. And so in the ancient world, there was the concept of the evil eye and people, and there's still cultures that do this. People would wear amulets around their neck, little stones or, or jewels. And those jewels were designed to ward off the evil eye. And the evil eye, specifically what it was, is it was a greedy eye. If someone saw that you had something good, they would try to put the evil eye on you. And the thought was, if they put the evil eye on you, they would get whatever you had. So you had to wear this little jewel around your neck on a a little string, this little amulet, to ward off the evil eye so that people wouldn't take what you had. When Jesus says, if the eye is healthy or the eye is good, one of the things he is saying is, you don't have an evil eye. In other words, do you follow? Your eye is not greedy. An eye that is good, an eye that is healthy, is an eye that is not greedy. You take your kids to the store, and they look at things, and their eyes just are glued to it. They want whatever they see. And then they see something right beside it. And they run over and they look at that. And they want that. And then they go over and they look at something else and they want that. Do you know what greedy does to you? One of the strange side effects of greed is a lack of focus. People who are greedy, and I have to look at myself here, people who are greedy are generally distracted people. Because one of the things here with this idea of a good eye or a healthy eye is it is a focused eye. An eye that is focused on one thing. And Jesus is saying, if your eye is focused on the things of God, then your whole body will be full of light. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The way you get that light into your life is you look at things around you and you say, I have that only because of God's grace. Here's, a, here's something to do for this next week. Let me challenge you to do, do this, next, this next week. When you look at something, think about what your heart tells you about the thing that you look at. So you drive up to your house when you get home and you look at your house. If your eye is bad or your eye is unhealthy, your eye will look at your house and the person's house beside you and you'll make a comparison. If your eye is good and healthy, Jesus says you will look at your house and you will say, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me this. Let me use this for your purposes. So you get out and you go to work and you drive up to your work. If your eye is unhealthy or your eye is bad, you'll look at your office and you'll think, life would be a lot better if I went down the road and worked somewhere else. That looks a whole lot better. You you want something else. You're, You're not focused on what you have. Or you drive up to work and you say, God, it may be a hard day today. I'm not really sure that I want to be here, but I have this job because you've placed me here on purpose, and I want to make an eternal impact right where I am. The way we look at things determines how we're going to approach life. Do we have light in our body because our eye is good, or do we have darkness in our body because our eye is bad? Do you see how Jesus is doing that with this imagery? 
He's using this to set up, set up this contrast. Let me talk really quickly. We're going to wrap up with this last verse in just a second. Let me talk for just a second about the fact that this whole concept of being generous and making an eternal impact, it's not just an individual decision. It's also a church decision. And so we have to look at ourselves as a church and we have to say, are we generous? Because here's where we run into a problem. And, and, and I'm so guilty of this and I want to change the way I approach this. Oftentimes, when churches do something for someone, they give them money or they help them out, either consciously or subconsciously, what are we thinking? We're thinking, will that be a good return on our investment? In other words, will that person attend our church? God forbid that we would ask, will they pay us back? Will they act like a good person because we help them? What are we doing? We're giving with one hand and we're sticking the other hand out and saying, I hope we get something in return. If we are humble and generous, we will say, God, everything we have is from you. Let us use it for your purposes. And we also, as a church, have to watch out what we're protective and prickly about. Because if we become protective and we become prickly about our building or about the resources that we have, and we say, oh, no, no, we can't use that because it might get messed up, or we can't use that because something might happen to it. Or, why do we have these things? When you walk up to church, when you come here on Sunday and you look at your building, this building, we realize it's not our building, it's what God has given to us. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we using it to make an eternal impact? Or are we... Are we, and this would be so ironic and yet it happens so often. Are we as a church laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal? Or as a church, are we laying up treasures in heaven? And so we just have to look at our hearts and say, God, everything we have is from you. Make us generous people. Make us a generous church. Do that based on how we're living our lives individually and how we're living as a corporate family gathered together. Okay, what's the point of all this? Look at the last verse. Jesus tells us where all of this is headed in verse 24. It's all about worship. It's all about who you worship and what you give your life to. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Sometimes that word will be money. Sometimes that word will be mammon. Mammon was a term that had to do with having confidence in your possessions. In other words, what do you trust in? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in your possessions, the things that you have? What are you serving? What drives your life? What do you treasure above everything else? And Jesus says, you cannot treasure both things. You cannot say that God is your treasure and at the same time say that money is your treasure. And so he's driving at this question of what will we give our lives to? What will we worship? Here's how we're going to end our service this morning. We're going to sing a song, and I'm really coming to understand the power of us as a church singing together at the end of a service. We're going to sing a song called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. And you know how the next phrase goes? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we turn our eyes to Christ and say, I will look to you, I will live for you, everything I have is because of you, let me just use it for you. All the things of earth that we want to hold on to and lay up those treasures, they'll grow dim. We'll say, I'm not going to be dominated by that. I'm not going to live for those things. I'm going to live for you. During this time that the church is singing, if I can pray for you, I would love to do that. Sometimes you come in here and there's just junk going on in life and you need someone to pray for you. I'd love to do that. But let's use this time right now. We are singing these words because we want to be obedient to what God's word says. And we're going to go from here and seek to live for him every day of the week. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing this song in response to God's word. Father, thank you for this passage. There's people who come into this room from every possible situation in life. Some are at a job and things are going well. Good things are happening. Some people may come here just having lost a job or looking for a job and trying to think about how they're going to make ends meet this, this week or this month. God, we come from so many different situations, so many different things going on. And this passage is not designed to beat us up or to send us on a guilt trip. This passage is designed to remind us of your goodness, that everything we have is from you and everything we have is for you. God, make us generous people. As we go from this place, let us look. Look at the things around us in a new way, that our eyes would be good and our bodies would be full of light so that that light would shine to the world around us. God, thank you for these people who are gathered here. Father, I love them. I thank you for their desire to serve and worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.